1: Here we go, the start of a brand new week on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Um Just a quick note as we start today, I'm sure I am not the only one who realized that this weekend, we essentially marked two years since uh, the pandemic began shutting everything down across the country. It was Friday, March 13th, 2020. It was kind of the last, even semi Uh, normal day that we all had, and it was at that point that businesses all over the country, retailers, others began to realize that by Monday, uh, they could not continue business as usual. Many of us thought, well, we're going to deal with this for a matter of a couple months and be back to normal. The pandemic, of course, has changed our lives probably irrevocably. Um, I just wanted to make quick note of that, uh, because this has been such a devastating time uh, for all of us. Um, I hope you've all come through it as well as you possibly can. Let's get right to our panel today a lot to talk about. Jim Galloway is with me as he is on Mondays. You remember the Jim, longtime political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jim, thanks for being here of course again
2: today. No, it's great to be here. Uh, 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 a, a wonderful day uh, and the legislature is not in session <laughs> That's always
1: a good day. <laughs> Mary Margaret Oliver, speaking of the legislature, Representative Oliver represents the city of Decatur. Uh, Mary Margaret, thank you for being here today. Lots to talk about in legislative activity down there.
0: Good morning. I also represent part of Brookhaven, Chamblee, and Atlanta. All I have all of yeah. middle of the cab around Emory. I'm happy to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I always reference you just in terms of Decatur. So thank you for doing that. Eric Tannenblatt is back with us. Uh, Eric has for a very, very long time been one of the most prominent uh, Republicans in the state of Georgia. Uh, We've talked in the past about his work with uh, George H. W. Bush, George W. Bush, Mitt Romney. He was chief of staff for Governor Sonny Perdue during Sonny Perdue's first term in office. Now he is uh, the head of global uh, government relations for Dentons, the world's largest law firm. If I got that pretty well uh, uh, stated, Eric?
3: You do, Bill, and it's great to be here with friends, Jim. Uh, it's great to great to see you and Leo and. Uh, If I could, I just want to say to Mary Margaret Oliver on behalf of my wife, who is a psychiatrist, she salutes Mm -hmm. you and thanks you for all you're doing in the legislature.
1: Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, let me introduce Leo Smith. Longtime Republican uh, consultant, and uh, now the uh, president of Engaged Futures, a uh, government relations firm. Uh, but one, Leo, I always uh, point out is one in which you, uh, in that framework, work at bringing people together around issues that you think matter most. Hi, Leo. Uh,
4: hello, Bill, and it's so wonderful to be in partnership with many of the guests that you often have on Political Rewind. And- and and doing the work that I do. So thank you for this show.
1: Um, Well, let's get right into it. Uh, There's so much bad news we could start with and so much divisiveness down at the state capitol over a variety (laughs) of hot-button issues that we could talk about and have talked about on the show. But Jim, why don't we, since we have Mary Margaret Oliver here, talk about what so far has been a great success story at the Capitol, and that this is is the sweeping mental health reform package, HB 1013, which Speaker Ralston uh, has called the most important piece of legislation of this session uh, that has now passed the House 100, what, 69 to three, I think, Jim. And and it it is a a moment of of good news. Why don't you weigh in, and we'll get Mary Margaret
2: in the in the uh, conversation right away. Right. This is this is uh, this is uh, from from the outset. Uh, Speaker Ralston said this was his top priority, and it was a very personal priority. Uh, and he was, uh, he was, uh, appointing to, 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 uh, law enforcement in his North Georgia County, where that was just, they, they had, they have taken on the roles of, of mental health workers and psychiatrists, uh, uh, in all these, uh, COVID era, uh, confrontations. We've had, I mean, you, just this, uh, if you, you marked that you, you're right. We, we, we've reached the two year anniversary of COVID and one of the, one of the impacts has been just this extreme isolation of, a, of, of the population and, and you have, they've been cut off from, from, from normal contact and you've seen this rise in, in suicides, in, in drug abuse and this this kind of, this bill is intended to get Georgia off the floor uh, when it comes to, when it comes to mental health care by requiring private insurers to, uh, to, 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 to man up here.
1: Mary Margaret, you have carried this legislation. You're heading down to the Capitol later today, where the Senate is going to hold a hearing on the measure now that it's passed the House. Uh, Talk to us about how you felt as you've watched this go through and what you think are the most important points of this bill.
0: It's a very exciting opportunity for Georgia to address what everybody understands is a compelling issue pandemic, particularly for children in isolation. But all of us have recognized that there's an increase in suicide. There's an increase of overdose death. (laughs) Statistically, it cannot be ignored that our mental health system needs extensive help. It's a very exciting opportunity (laughs) to be a part of this 78-page bill that is comprehensive in many different ways. And also, We passed a budget on Friday that gives $100 million of new money, particularly to crisis unit and law enforcement programs across the state. Parity has been a part of our national discussion for 20 years, beginning in the Bush administration. Parity means you treat mental illness the same as you do physical illness for the purpose of reimbursement. At the end of the Trump administration, there was a new set of directives that gave inten- intentionally gave additional enforcement powers to the state, insurance commissioners specifically. Since the Behavioral Health Commission has met for the last two years, we have crafted the recommendations into this bill, 1013. And in January, the speaker called me and Representative Todd Jones from Forsyth and said, I want the two of you to co-pilot this bill. In addition to parity, which is a very significant opportunity to enforce what already should be Georgia's rights, we also are addressing the issues of formula distribution of insurance monies. We don't think Georgia is getting our fair share of the 85% mandate that premiums of the uh, CMOs, care management organizations, go directly for medical services. We're addressing a new form of outpatient treatment, mandatory outpatient treatment, brings forward from the mental health courts and the success of that kind of supervision. We're funding new law enforcement-type programs called co-responder programs. Organically across the state, dozens of law enforcement, Brookhaven in my area, and all of Forsyth County are experimenting with trying mental health people answering the phones and going out on certain calls. 60%. The sheriff in Fannin County told the speaker that 60% of his 911 calls were family-on-family and significantly high percentage were mental illness issues. The co-responder programs offer a lot of promise to keep people out of the circle of jails, out of the circle of ERs. So it's a comprehensive bill, and this afternoon at 3 o'clock, Representative Jones and I will be presenting it for the first time to Dr. Watson's Senate Health Committee. I'm very excited about this opportunity. It's given me a really good opportunity to ignore all the negative stuff going on the capital.
1: Yeah, I understand that. Eric Tannevalet, you mentioned uh, that this is an issue you understand well in your house, your wife wife Mary being a psychiatrist. Just one paragraph from uh, AJC reporter Maya Prabhu's article about this measure. She said this, the move to expand mental health services comes as overdose deaths are rising in Georgia, along with suicides in rural areas, and it comes as the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities has lost nearly 1,100 of its 3,800 employees over the last two years. The staffing shortage meant 185 psychiatric hospital beds couldn't be filled. Eric?
3: Yeah, look, this is probably going to go down as one of the most significant pieces of legislation uh, in you know the last several years. And again, I, I applaud the speaker, Todd Young, uh, Senator Oliver. I mean, this is just uh, this is just tremendous. It's something that's been needed for a while. And, you know, what? in a time when we see hyper partisanship, it is you know, this is what public policy is about. And it's nice mm-hmm. to see. Democrats, Republicans, putting the partisanship aside and doing what's in the best interest of the citizens.
1: Leo, we should point out that talking about mental health reform has been something that's been going on down at the legislature for years and years. Uh, the problem has been clear, obviously more clear since the pandemic, but it's only it's now finally it's being addressed, Leo.
4: Yes, and again, as Eric and... Mary Margaret has already said, I mean, it's it's very timely. Uh, Oftentimes in, uh, you know, a laboratory of democracy at the state level, bills, as we're seeing with so many other, these culturally sensitive bills are moving pretty quickly. That one has moved rather slowly. Um, Attaching it to the gubernatorial campaigns coming up as we look at other health care expansion issues, Medicaid. um, This is powerful. I think that the fact that we have telemedicine now starting to grow, virtual visits, Um, highly needed. I host these uh, talks on that social app, you know, about Clubhouse often. And it is amazing to me the number of people who come onto my stage to talk. We're so isolated and so traumatized by the political things happening that sometimes I feel like I have to invite counselors onto the stage. And uh, this is a real issue in America. And this is very timely for Georgia.
1: Uh, Mary Margaret, uh, before we move on, uh, do you expect? Uh, how, how does the support for this look in the Senate? I assume that the, that the Senate is poised to uh, uh, pass this measure.
0: I feel very hopeful. We have been having conversations with the Senate ongoing from the Behavioral Health Commission, and in, in fact, through through the last day through Friday, I was down there talking to senators. Hmm. There's a recognition we have to do something. And there's a recognition that this is the year to do it. So I'm very hopeful.
1: Okay. And we know Governor Kemp has already uh, pledged his support for this measure uh, once it passes the legislature. Jim, let's move on to another issue that has gained uh, bipartisan uh, support just at the end of last week. The Georgia House voted 150 to nothing. That kind of vote doesn't happen very often to suspend the uh, 29-cent a gallon uh, gas tax through the end of May, and of course this is based on two factors: the rising gas prices because of inpl- inflation, but even more so uh, as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's a four hundred, <clears throat> excuse me, million dollar uh, 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 bill. Uh, gas in Metro Atlanta is up to about four thirty-three a gallon. Um, and uh, the governor says they're going to pay for this. They can pay for this uh, out of the surplus that we've had since uh, 2021, Jim. So another measure that seems to have gotten ha- – does have widespread approval.
2: Right, right. And as you, as you said, I mean, uh, the, the state of Georgia is kind of a wash in cash right now. It's, it's, uh, uh, it, that, that's fairly unusual. This would qualify as one of those one-time expenditures <laughs> – that that lawmakers like to apply to that kind of a surplus, uh, and it's and it's and, and you're right. I mean, it's 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 it, 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 there's probably nothing more popular right now happening in, in, in the in the state capital. Uh, I think. Let me see. Uh, I I would guess it, it cost me uh, sixty bucks to fill up my pickup truck last night uh, or, or the other night, and uh, and I feel kind of lucky that I don't live in California where it probably cost me ninety bucks, maybe a hundred bucks so it's uh this is uh i i there's a reason that that it, that there was not a single dissenting vote on this in the house
1: um leo if, if that said um we know that in the u s Senate uh Raphael Warnock has been one of those who's been pushing hard for a suspension of the federal gas tax uh which is i think around eighteen and a half cents here in georgia and yet um The Senate is not completely aligned to pass this, um, uh, even though they're getting pressure from uh, people like Warnock, some of the uh, Democratic governors who are up for re-election. But the Senate is still kind of inching very slowly toward doing this, with some Democrats being uncertain about it.
4: Uh, I mean, your point is well taken. I mean, this would be about a 19 percent additional um, benefit to American citizens. Congress, as usual, is a little slower than the state. And so I'm so happy that our governor has been so quick to lead our assembly to act. Um, and then, you know, for the this issue, Americans are still sort of debating how much pain they're willing to undertake for this Russian-Ukraine uh, conflict. And I think uh, for, our, for our senator, uh, coming out of... Uh, Atlanta, Warnock, uh, this is going to be a big issue for him and other Democrats in their midterm um, prospects if they don't really do something to help deal with this issue.
1: Um, Eric, one of the problems that some Democrats are having that when you lose this money, it's uh, these these taxes go toward uh, roads and bridge construction. And and so there's some fear that infrastructure projects are jeopardized uh, to some extent by this. Yes.
3: Yeah, no, that's that's very true, and you know, fortunately for Georgia, you know, our our state coffers has has been acknowledged. It was in a in a good place, and you know, we've had a surplus. We're looking like we're heading towards another surplus. The economy is good here. Uh, in Washington, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, we consistently have been deficit spending. We've had added costs due to COVID, and now what's going on in the Ukraine is causing added additional. Uh, support uh humanitarian support military support on the part of our federal government, so you know if you take the money away from the highway trust fund uh you know i I understand why people have concern however uh it would make a real difference in people's pocketbooks and right now with the rising you know with inflation and the rising cost um i I think that it wouldn't surprise me if the federal government's income come along, uh, especially, mm, yeah. as Leo pointed out, with a midterm election on the horizon.
1: Yeah, I think it's clear that Democrats in the Senate are moving forward. Mary Margaret, uh, why don't you weigh in on this?
0: Very unusual time in my long political career, the amount of money that the governor has available to him. Not only do we have a $3 billion surplus, but he's also holding on to probably $2 billion of unspent CARES money. So at the time that we have this crisis in relation to Ukraine and the the gas prices somewhat out of control from our perspective, it's very fortunate that the governor has this resource and that he's moving quickly. It's kind of a no-brainer in my mind. People are hurting. They're very focused on the pain of Ukraine. They're focused that this is going to hurt them and that the gas taxes seems to me a readily available way to help real uh, real Georgians, and to honor the fact that we are probably in a very bad situation in relation to Russians, Russia's aggressiveness. It really is a pall in okay. the Capitol about this, this war and images of it.
1: Um, okay, Jim, the kumbaya chapter of today's show is now, over. Think over. <laughs> because I think, over. I because think, I think we have to talk about the fact that... President Biden is—Republicans have put President Biden in a really difficult spot. They have encouraged him to do everything he can to uh, uh, impose sanctions on the Russians, including cutting off the supply of Russian oil to the United States— which, of course, starts raising the price of gasoline, and at the same time, are criticizing him because inflation is out of control. Americans are paying, Georgians in this case are paying too much at uh, the pump. And over the weekend, I saw some of my Republican friends tweeting out that Biden was using the invasion's effect on the cost of gas as an excuse for his inability to curb inflation. Jim?
2: Yeah, this is, uh, and and I think uh, I think the the AJC had a piece out uh, late last week that said inflation in Atlanta in Metro Atlanta is higher than pretty much is 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 outrunning the rest of the country. So it's so it is a huge issue. You know, this is it's a it's a it's a delicate issue for 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 Joe Biden because as you said, he was under pressure to to to, to uh, forswear any 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 uh, Russian uh, oil imports. And 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 yet you know he, he he's going to bear the brunt of any antipathy uh, on on the on the price of gasoline, uh, and but I, I would I would argue that Republicans are kind of they're they're in a in in something of a similar situation, but with with uh, with with Mr. Trump, uh, because because. Uh, they have to there's been I, mary margaret you can tell me if i'm wrong but i i think there's been almost universal support for for ukraine in the state capitol and and uh and yes you have republicans bl- blaming uh biden for 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 being allegedly weak on 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 this but it's, it's, a kind of, it's a criticism that rings very, very hollow when you, when you consider uh, the 2019 impeachment of Trump over, over his attempt to blackmail uh, uh, President Zelensky over, uh, over uh, some campaign dirt.
1: I'll tell you what, Mary Margaret, why don't you jump in and then Eric Tannenblatt.
0: We have real veterans on the floor of the House. And, you know, we're, we're a family down there when times are very tough in some ways. And the veterans on the floor are very thoughtful in talking about the horror of this uh, despicable acts of Russia. So we're focused on, and the speaker has led this discussion most days in one way or another. We have to be caring about the people of Ukraine and what's happening to them. We feel that on the floor. Um, Washington seems to be just a different planet to me on some days. and On this issue, it seems very different.
1: Eric.
3: Yeah. And, and, and look, you know, this is um, I think there's universal support for the Ukrainians uh, across the country. Uh, and, you know, normally, you know, or historically, when, when we have international crises, uh, people tend to rally around the commander in chief and we're all unified. We're just living in a time right now where uh, there's such hyper partisanship and i don't i don't really view this as a trump versus biden i mean if you look at some of the you know republicans in washington that i would not put in the category of donald trump supporters take Mitt romney for example he's been very uh outspoken on the u.s response uh to what's happening uh in the ukraine i think that the um sort of overhang for the debacle in Afghanistan is also weighing into this as well. I think that there's a view on the part of some that there was such incompetence in how that was handled. That uh, is some of that bleeding into some of the decision making that's being taking place with regards to the Ukraine. I, I hope not. And, you know, it's, a, it's up to the administration to reach out to those on the other side of the aisle to make sure that uh, they're informed as to what's going on and to see if they can work together. I mean, we saw that, you know, during the Gulf War, uh, during the Iraq War, after 9-11. I mean, people rally around their commander in chief. And I think that uh, we need to see uh, more bipartisanship as we deal with um, this international crisis. But as I said before, unfortunately, you know, some of the past actions of this president are, are bleeding into this and it's making it hard to do.
4: What makes it even more difficult uh, is that so many of the economists and uh, policy thinkers from Paul Krugman to uh, the Mercatus Center, I mean, early on, before this this conflict in um, Eastern Europe, they were saying that the inflation issue was not a big deal. It was, transitory. And Biden leans a lot on those thinkers. And, and so he, he kind of got into a sticky wicket there because there were so many people saying that this wasn't, this was a fleeting issue and it would not last outside of the European issue. And uh, so he's now, you know, he's got a very tough situation here.
1: All right, let's do this. Uh, Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. We got a lot to talk about, especially in terms of election news coming up. We'll get to that after these messages. Leo Smith, Eric Tannenblatt, Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, and Jim Galloway on the show uh, with me today. Let's do one more legislative matter before we move on. Uh, Mary Margaret, we know that tomorrow's crossover day, the day which at least ostensibly a bill has got to have passed one house uh, because if it doesn't, there's not time. It can't be taken up in the other house. We all know there are shortcuts around that. Things have a way of popping up even after crossover day and amendments and the like. But That said, Mary Margaret, um, last week, uh, I think by surprise, uh, a bill came out, a kind of a sweeping election bill after the governor, the speaker of the House said, we don't need any election measures this year. SB 202 last year gave us what we needed. And yet there's a new election bill, which, among other things, gives the GBI more power to investigate uh, election issues and... Which gives um, citizens the right to examine actual physical ballots. And now we're told that uh, the Democrats, people like Stacey Abrams' organization and others are going to fight this uh, ferociously. Mary Margaret?
0: We've been trying to figure out what the intent of this bill is over the weekend, and it's I will be in line the Rules Committee, and there are many others be in line in the Rules Committee today and tomorrow morning to get our last hope for measures to be passed. The chain of custody issues creates an enormous burden on the local elected officials who are rarely contacted when we have this kind of red meat of throw around ideas on election, quote unquote, reform. Uh, They know and we understand in detail how the chain of custody issues that are relevant to criminal enterprises and criminal prosecutions really aren't relevant (laughs) to paper ballots. The, um, I'm, I have respect for Vic Reynolds, uh, and I think that he would be a professional if he were given this extra duty, which he doesn't need to be given this extra duty. GB, GBI director. GBI director, but I don't know who the GBI director will be in the future, and we're seeing ridiculous caricatures of quote-unquote law enforcement people across the nation who are taking up the election was stolen and they need to go investigate ballots. There's a number of things in this bill that are just, we make us, make us very nervous, and it doesn't seem necessary in any way, and it's going to suck up air time and energy and create some extra tensions on crossover day tomorrow.
1: Uh, Jim, I saw that uh, Linda Duvall, at her organization, she's a very well-respected uh, Republican pollster, but but one whose work is considered, um, you know, reputable by all sides. She's done a poll now of Georgia of, of voters, Republican voters, and among the many findings in her poll, uh, it a very tiny percentage of Republicans in this state really care about election issues uh, like this. Uh, so. It, it, it isn't clear that this is an appeal to the base. It's not quite clear what this is all about.
2: I, I think this is. Uh, it, I, if this were not an election year, I don't think you'd be seeing it. Of course, I think. I think. I think you still have a significant number of Republicans who uh, who who are 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 have been persuaded that there's something uh, something rotten in the election system and we have to keep a, 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 a put a, tighter controls on it a couple things in that bill are 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 are, are okay uh, it, it does make it a, expressly make it a felony to threaten an election worker or uh, an election supervisor and uh that that's okay uh, I think the GBI portion that uh, Mary Margaret expressed uh, concerns about is probably the most important and what this does is it gives original jurisdiction uh, to the GBI generally speaking uh, the GBI has to be invited by a law enforcement yes. authority or or some other uh, agency to 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 enter enter a probe this would allow the GBI to do it all by itself and this essentially shifts it puts a whole lot of power, I think, in the hands of Georgia's governor because the GBI, in essence, is controlled. It's is 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 is, is part of the, the 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 governor's administration, and and my uh-huh. question for for Republicans might be: uh, you want this now uh, because you're hoping that Brian Kemp will be reelected in 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 November? But what if Stacey Abrams? Wins wins that contest. Uh, will we see that cha- that law change very quickly? Uh, Leo, do you want to weigh in on this?
4: Um, well, Jim asked the question, and I think you probably would see that law change very quickly uh, if Stacey Abrams were uh, there. But you know, you cannot dethrone the Secretary of State from his authority on investigating these issues and having um, the ability to chair the State Elections Board, of which we still don't have a chairperson. Um, uh, one of our hosts, uh, one of our panelists, Ed Lindsay, I know, is on that board. Now who knows what might happen there. But, you know, they, there's no trust by Republicans in the Secretary of State's office. So this is a shift of responsibility. I'm concerned about the presence of uniformed state troopers that's part of this, this whole idea at our polling stations at a time such as this. I think we were smart, and I think the governor was really smart to use National Guards for coronavirus uh testing, but they were not in uniform. So obviously our governor has sensitivity about this issue. And I hope that um I think Speaker Rostin's heart was in the right place. I know former NAACP state chairman James Waddall actually supported this this uh this this move. So um we'll see how it play plays out.
1: Eric had a final word in on this. Well,
3: I just think that, unfortunately, again, I I don't want to sound like I keep saying the same thing, but we're just living in this hyper-partisan era, and right now everyone's interpreting everyone's motives. And, you know, that same poll you cited showed that, you know, over 70 percent of the people are fine with the law that passed last year. I thought we were done with election reform. This pops up. It's not a top issue on the minds of most Georgians right now. Um, Although we are in an election year and there are people that, you know, truly believe that there was, you know, inappropriate activity that occurred in the last election. And we have a former president who's stoking the fire there. And and so this issue is still uh, at the forefront. What it will do on a purely partisan basis is it's going to give uh, in the next, you know, 24, 48 hours. You know, they're going to be a hearing today. And if the bill advances, uh, it's going to give an opportunity for, you know, Stacey Abrams and the Democrats that oppose it to gin up their organization. And, and you know, and, and there'll be some energy uh, around opposing the bill. And so, um, unfortunately, I think this has now become more of a partisan issue uh, than, than, than really on the merits. There are some parts of provisions of this bill, though, as has been cited. Uh, the, the GBI piece, I think, is, you know, I don't have any strong objections to that. But, you know, do do we need more election reform right now? I guess that's the question with everything else we have going on.
1: Well, it strikes me that this is another example. You had the governor saying before the session, we don't really need any more election measures this session. I think I'm right that Ralston echoed that. I. I may be wrong, but I think he, he did want to give the GBI more power, I think, to get right. involved in right. election matters. <clears throat> but other than that, wasn't excited about it. And this seems to be another one of those things, Jim, to wrap this up, where uh, the base uh, or appeal, appealing to the base becomes a matter for Republicans, in this case, in the legislature, needing more uh, fodder. And so this thing advances anyway. At least uh, we'll see if it advances after tomorrow.
2: Yeah, and and you have to wonder. I mean, I, I'll I, I I'll I'll take uh, Eric's point on the uh, on the fact that this is going to give uh, 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 more air to to the Stacey Abrams effort to to protect uh, voting rights, but I think it's also I think you can also read it as 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 maybe a. a, a an antidote to any any criticism that brian kemp may be getting between now and the may 24th primary from david purdue uh because i mean we, do remember we've got a now we we now have a donald trump rally in commerce uh, headed our way for for uh, for march 26th and uh the election is likely to be a a, a hot topic
1: all right let's move on um yeah, Leo, let me start with you on this, if I may. Um, the AJC yesterday published a an investigative piece. They looked into Herschel Walker's business practices, his successes, failures in the various businesses that he started. They point out that, of course, uh, out on the campaign trail, he talks about the fact that he has been a very successful business man. Uh, but here's one of the paragraphs from the AJC investigation. An Atlanta Journal-Constitution review of court records and other public documents contradicts statements Walker has made about the number of people his companies employ, their size, and the assets they own. The review also revealed a string of defaults, settlements, and lawsuits alleging that Walker and his businesses owed millions of dollars in unpaid loans. Now, uh, we're not going to get into all the details of the various defaults and the like. Um, but this is one of those matters where, as enormously popular as Herschel Walker is, uh, you've got to look at what might be underneath the waterline and how this could affect him if he does, in fact, win the Republican primary and move on to the general, which is what most people expect right now. Leo?
4: Well, we've seen an uptick in the independent and spin business groups sort of attacking Herschel during the OPPO research. We're going to see more and more of it. Um, you know, sort of uh, mirroring some of the attacks on his mentor Donald Trump. Uh, this is not an unusual attack on people. I mean, starting a business is hard, but it's always rewarded when uh, people do it well. And we want people to start businesses. His famous 34 pub and and uh, Athens that he attempted. I think it lasted two years. Um, I visited that pub when I was an executive with the Georgia GOP to get his support for the party's Minority Voter Engagement Project. Um, You know, it's great when people attempt to employ people. And I think you cannot really evaluate that in in a fair way. How many employees you have, for instance, is not always reported if someone is an employee for a short period of time or makes less than a certain amount of money. So the other stuff that's going to come up about Herschel is going to be much more
1: difficult to deal with for him. Okay. Leo, I want to make sure that our listeners don't misunderstand one thing that you said. You talked about attacks on Her- Herschel Walker's businesses. I-, I suspect you really don't mean to suggest that the AJC investigative reporting is an attack. It is a look at one aspect of a candidate's history, is it not?
4: No, I think the AJC is doing forensics reporting. However, I think people will use that reporting to attack
3: it. Eric? Look, I mean, this is part of, you know, running for political office. And if you offer yourself up, you, you know, have to expect this is going to happen. And especially if you're a first-time candidate. And I have to believe that that none of this is uh, a surprise. And I would assume and I hope that the AJC does the same thing on the other side of the aisle if, Uh, things come up related to Raphael Warnock or Stacey Abrams or the people at the top of the ticket on that side. Leo mentioned, you know, these independent groups, you know, that's the way this thing works. These independent groups dig up all of this dirt and then they find a friendly person in the media and feed it to them. And then the media takes it from there. And so, you know, you you know, you hope that, you know, that's happening on one side, it's happening on, on the other side too. And that the media is going to look at this, in a in a balanced way and not try and sway the outcome of the election now from a purely political standpoint you know we're in primary season herschel walker has a commanding lead in the republican primary will this matter in the primary i don't know it'll probably give some fodder uh to his opponents um you know and 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 see if it drags herschel out to have to answer for it or it may you know be put off until the general election at some point you know, questions are raised. You gotta, you gotta answer, answer for it. But I think we're going to see stuff on both sides in this. This is going to be a very expensive race, and uh, you know, you're going to see uh, a lot more to come from uh, both sides of the aisle.
1: Mary the Margaret, politi-
0: the political races in Georgia, uh, candidates are going to have unlimited money, and consultants are going to find a way to spend when they have unlimited money. One of the issues that is highlighted in the discussion about Herschel Walker's business is the fact that he's a Texas person. He's a Texas businessman. It's all about Texas operations. How much time is he still spending in Texas in relation to his businesses? Is he still doing corporate speeches? I think in the last week he was doing a corporate speech for somebody in Florida, not a fundraiser for himself. I think Georgia voters want to know what Herschel thinks about the issues of Georgia, the issues of our economy, the issues of our industries, the issue of our high child poverty rate—that dictates so many of the issues that we discussed and problems for Georgia's families. Um, whether he's a good candidate uh, in the give and take, uh, business operations are part of that discussion. Uh, If he has been bragging, appropriately so, or not appropriately so, about his business skill, then clearly that's, uh, that's an issue for discussion. But I think Georgia voters are more concerned, is he a real Georgia person who cares about me and my business, and my family, and my neighborhood school? What does he think about the Okefenokee Swamp? What does he care about mining there? What does he care about our river corridors? What does he care about the... Development Authority issues that I keep raising. Uh, there are lots of issues that Georgia voters care about, uh, and the fact that he thinks he's a good businessman may be a good businessman. Uh, it's not a good businessman just to go get, get be given fifty thousand dollars to give a corporate speech because you're a famous football player. That does not, in my view, even though he is a very famous football player, uh, a corporate speech saying I was a very famous football player. Uh, it does not set forth business acumen. He's a Texas citizen. He's a Texas businessman. Is he a re- going to be a real viable Georgia candidate to talk about what people in Georgia care about? Uh,
2: yeah, uh, f- first of all, if, if I could just uh, uh, elucidate a little bit on what, what Eric said. Uh, yes, uh, journalists get uh, uh, folders and packages from opposition research uh groups uh, with with political ties to 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 the other candidates but we do go through those 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 that research and we do ascertain it for for ourselves we do our own research uh, we, we just do not we, we, we won't take somebody's folder and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, just put it out there uh, I, as far as these these allegations I I, I, I think I'm not sure that they're going to have an impact as, as, as long as Gary Black, who's pr- pretty much the, 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 the number two candidate in the, in the Republican primary, has, has no money to, to make use of them. Uh, I think what's more damaging, what, what, uh, to, to, to Leo's point, what may be more damaging is, uh, uh, is Herschel Walker's relationship with, with the women in his life. Over over years and 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 there are some very expressed uh, incidents of, of violence in that category. I think it's interesting that despite the fact that that Walker is a an overwhelming uh, favorite in, in, in a Republican primary, you know usually what you would have if 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 uh, if if, if, a Demo- if Democrats thought he was a juggernaut, they would already be going after him. And and that's not what's happening right now. They're holding their fire. Raphael, Raphael Warnock is 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 out, uh, kind of boosting his personal bona fides, uh, mm-hmm. trying to establish his identity early, as he did uh, in the in the in the, uh, in, the in the last election. Uh, so I think, but I think uh, this race is going to take a different turn on say May twenty fifth, the day after the primary. Um. I got to get to uh, Mary Margaret. Did you want a
1: a last comment on that? No. Okay. Um, I I do want to as we go to a break I want to expand very very briefly Jim on something you said and I and Leo and and Eric I think you kind of alluded to this saying you hope it works that both sides are gonna get that 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 Reporters will look at at all the candidates uh, fairly in regard to investigations of, of them um, it, it reminds me that in my many years of covering politics, that on a given day, if I did a story that was critical of a candidate of one party, or exposed some aspect of that candidate's um, past practices, whatever, that was critical, I would, of course, get calls complaining that I was against that candidate, I was biased, prejudiced, and of course it would happen on the other side of the aisle as well. And, and I think most reputable journalists uh, find that to happen to them with some regularity. And I get it because the people who are behind, say, a Herschel Walker are passionate about his candidacy. And so, of course, they don't want to hear reporting that's critical of their person. Uh, But I would say that that does not suggest that uh, we're out to get a candidate uh, because in one report, we happen to say something that might not be uh, as positive about the candidate as it could be. All right, that's my speech. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Quick note about tomorrow's show. Uh, among other things we're going to do on the show tomorrow is we're going to talk with Hugh Acheson, the uh, uh, really nationally renowned chef and restaurateur in Georgia. Hugh's been over in Eastern Europe. He's been in Moldova. He's been in Poland feeding uh, people who have escaped the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And he's uh, agreed to come on the show for a while tomorrow and talk to us about what he's seen. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Uh, Eric, I'd like to, as we head toward the end of the show, start with you on this next subject. Um, We lost Sam Massell over the weekend, one of the truly visionary leaders of the city of Atlanta and the region for that matter. And and I want to start with you because you, in fact, have been involved with the Buckhead Coalition for a long time, a couple of decades, I think. And you're the incoming chair of the Buckhead Coalition. Why is it that we are now uh, looking at Sam Massell's life and talking about what a profound impact he had on all of us? in the metropolitan Atlanta region?
3: Well, I mean, as you said, he was a visionary. I mean, you can go back four or five even longer decades, and, you know, you could see the stamp of what uh, Sam Macell, uh did for the community, not just Buckhead, but for the entire city of Atlanta. Uh, I encourage your listeners to read the obituary in the Atlanta Constitution because it really summed up uh, what he did in terms of race relations, the creation of Marta. I mean you can go down the list and uh, you know, in particular, you know, I, I got to know Sam Missell through my work on the Buckhead Coalition, you know, over fifteen years ago. Um I've always known of Sam and watched Sam, but I got to work hand in hand with him. I recently, you know, talked to him, called him to wish him a happy birthday. Um and, you know, he loved he didn't just love Buckhead. He loved the city of Atlanta, and he mm. recognized the role that Buckhead played in the city of Atlanta. In fact, he used to cringe when people would call him the mayor of Buckhead because he didn't. Buckhead's not a city; it's part of Atlanta. Uh, and you know, if you look at if you look at what um, you know how Buckhead has changed over the last twenty five years when he you know was the president of the Buckhead Coalition. Uh, it's a very different place. It's a large commercial center, residential. Um, It's a great place to live, work and play. And I think he uh, gets a lot of credit for that, for the balance in the community. Um, He was also, you know, he was a liberal Democrat, but he transcended politics. Democrats, Republicans, uh, independents, they all uh, they all uh, really looked to Sam for uh, wise counsel and you look at all the former mayor the mayors that succeeded him uh they all turned to sam including our current mayor who named him a co-chair of his transition so this is a big loss for atlanta but he had such an influence on so many of us that uh, his legacy will live on
1: mary margaret
0: i'm a native Atlanta, sam so myself a native Atlanta. we both graduated from Druid hills high school it's um I so admired his the longevity of his public service. He was always able to be there at a time when he was needed, a voice of a positive voice, a positive voice of reason. And a such a long public service career, I, I thought the obituary was very, very well done, how he could have become just a super rich guy in the riding the wave of development across Georgia, but he did not do that. He chose to engage into his 90s in a very positive way in public service, and I have tremendous admiration for that. It was a different era when he came into politics. He played an incredibly pivotal role, the bridge, as we talked about in many different ways, between the white power structure and the African-American leadership structure. Uh, He's been very pivotal, but he's always been there. He's always been a positive voice to help people talk
1: about issues in a very rational way. Uh, Jim, I think Mary Margaret just used a word that I wanted to to talk about with you, and then Leo, I want you to weigh in. Sam Missell had a trait that uh, many great leaders have. He came at you with positive energy all the time. He was upbeat. He was, to some extent, I know it became an unfortunate phrase, a happy warrior. Um, And that was really a wonderful thing about who he was.
2: Yeah, and and we have to note that I mean he was I I think he was, he was the first and only Jewish mayor of of Atlanta, yeah. and and in essence, look, look he, I, I once wrote that Sam Marcel was the hinge, that 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 connected uh, uh the, the door that 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 swung when when white atlanta shifted what uh, the white power structure sh- shifted to the black one and i think you know th- there's something very jimmy carterish about sam Massell. you know he was defeated in, in 1974 that's when he left public office and he stayed active to the very end he was he was he was essential in 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 defeating the city of buckhead movement even at
1: 94 uh, we- I'm sorry. Leo, here's what's really fascinating to me about that. Um, he, he, he was at the moment when African Americans became transcendent in, in Atlanta, and he actually helped that go forward. He won 90% of the black vote in his first election, 10% of the white vote. And in his reelection, it was the exact opposite, because in fact, he was helpful in giving African Americans a voice in politics, uh, and he lost to Maynard Jackson. <laughs>
4: Yeah, we have so much to, to learn from that generation, from Andrew Young, as you know, who we just celebrated his birthday. To Sam Michelle, we celebrate his life, his legacy. You know, he was so generous. I'm a Smyrna resident. I'm a transplant to Georgia, but when I met Sam Michelle, he treated me like you know he knew me, and I was amazed by that. And therefore, I thought he was the mayor of really, Atlanta <laughs> But his son Steve is. Gregarius and Graham, his grandson, great people, uh, he will be missed.
1: Leo Smith, Eric Tannenblad, Mary Margaret Oliver, Jim Galloway, I'm totally out of time. Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. Um, we will post the AJC obituary of Sam Missell on our social media platforms so you can read much more about his life and career. Thanks all for all of you for being here. We're back of course with another show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nigat. Take care and please stay healthy. Bye everybody.